You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. God transformed him. Now here's where the rubber meets the road. God's in the business of transforming lives, not just saving people from hell. Oh, he loves saving people from hell, but that's just the beginning. And the rest of our lives as Christians, what God wants to do is transform us more and more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. But he can't do that unless we do some things that will allow him to do that. Do you make room within your life that allows God to transform your life? In today's message from Pastor Danny, he teaches us that God is in the business of transformation. Salvation from hell is not the only thing that God desires. He desires for us to be transformed into the image of His Son. Transformation takes time and is a process that takes cooperation. When we give the Lord time within our day that is devoted to Him, He will transform us. When we read His Word, pray, and fellowship with others, we are transformed. Now here's Pastor Danny with part two of today's edition of The Living Word from the book of Acts, chapter 9. Before he went to Jerusalem, after getting saved on the road to Damascus, that's where the 10 to 11 years are. It happens between chapter 9 of Acts, verse 25, and verse 26. His followers took him by night, lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, there's 10 to 11 years between those two verses. Where was he? Galatians tells us, chapter 1. Verse 11 I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father's. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, So that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. There you have it. Between Acts 9, verse 25 and Acts 9, verse 26, for some 10 to 11 years. That would mean seven or so years in Arabia before he went back to Damascus. What's he doing in Arabia? What's in Arabia that might be biblically significant? Galatians chapter 4. Paul illustrating from the lives of Sarah, Hagar, 
These things will be taken figuratively, verse 24, figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in where? Come on, open your Bible. In Arabia. He went to Arabia. Mount Sinai is in Arabia. The scriptures don't tell us. We don't have a record. But if I'm a betting man, I bet he went to Mount Sinai. Why? Repeatedly in the Old Testament, Mount Sinai is called the mountain of God. It's where God met with Moses. Moses came down from the mountain and his face shone with the glory of God because he had been in the presence of God. I believe he went to Mount Sinai, but even if that's not true, he's in Arabia for some seven plus years or so, and we hear nothing for 10 to 11 years total. If you do one thing in response to this message, it'll radically transform your life. One thing. And I'll tell you before we're done what it, what it is. Think about Saul of Tarsus. He's a Pharisee. As a matter of fact, he's a very proud Pharisee. He writes in Philippians about his pedigree. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, the middle of it. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, thinking he's serving God. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. You would have looked at Saul of Tarsus if you knew him, and he's so committed to God, and he's so religious, and he's so, he's so straight, if you will. You would have thought, if anybody's going to heaven, this guy is. He's knowledgeable. He knows the scriptures. He had studied under Gamaliel, the greatest teacher of the day, and so he's knowledgeable, and if you will, he's notable. Everybody knows who Saul of Tarsus is. Some might have suggested when he got saved and he goes out and begins preaching boldly the name of Jesus, some might have said, you might as well just start Saul of Tarsus Ministries. But that would have been a mistake. And it's a mistake that's been made, unfortunately, too many times. Somebody notable, somebody famous gives their lives to Christ and throw them right in the spotlight before they have time to grow and mature. And sometimes they don't make it. I don't know exactly where he was in Arabia, but I know what was happening in Arabia. You know what was happening? He was being sanctified. He's being transformed and conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. He's maturing. You know, that's God's desire for every single person that knows Jesus Christ. Here's the plan. For those whom God foreknew, Paul said in Galatians 1, I was set apart from my mother's womb. All he means is God foreknew that I would get saved on that road to Damascus. Just like he knew I would get saved, 19 years old. Just like if you know Christ, he foreknew. And he predestined us not to heaven or hell. That's not biblical. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the plan. You get saved. You receive Christ as Lord and Savior. But that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. Now there's a process. And it doesn't happen overnight. Even to religious zealots like Saul of Tarsus. As a matter of fact, God would have a harder time changing some things in his life than he might have a prostitute that comes to know the Lord. Because this man's entrenched for his whole life in so much religious garbage that has no basis of truth in it. And while he was radically saved on that road to Damascus, there are things that need to change in his life and change dramatically. And it would not happen overnight. It took years. Let me suggest to you, based on scripture, some of the things that changed in Saul of Tarsus' life. He was greatly humbled. 
Oh, he was humbled that day when he got saved on the road to Damascus and led like a child blind into Damascus. That, that was humbling. Yeah, he was humbled. But the depth of his humility, it so deepened during that time in Arabia. So deepened. So much so that he would later change his name from Saul to Paul. You know what Paul means? Little, small. He was humble. Saul and Moses had one thing in common. That was pride. Remember God calls Moses? Moses has grown up in the palace of Egypt. He's been educated in all the, the greatest education you could get in the day. Acts tells us he was, he was powerful in speech and in action. He knew how to get things done. He knew how to communicate. And so when he felt the calling of God on his life, he goes out one day and he sees a, an Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew. And so he slays the Egyptian. He took matters into his own hands. And yes, God had called him to be the representative and the deliverer, if you will. But it was not to be by his own power. It was not to be by his own power and ability. It was to be God's. And so God sent him to the backside of the desert for 40 years. And after 40 years, guess what Numbers chapter 12, verse 3 tells us about Moses? Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. And to become the great men of God that both Moses and Saul of Tarsus, who would become the great apostle Paul, to become the great men of God that they did, they would have to be humbled greatly. I'll tell you another one, and this had to be a challenge for the Lord. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He has worked for years feverishly to earn his righteousness. And he believes he's got it. He always ate kosher foods. He tithed. He gave a tenth right down to his salt and pepper. He fasted twice a week. Pharisee. He gave to the poor. And he made sure, like other Pharisees, you blow a trumpet and make sure everybody can see the righteous act you're doing. You're giving to the poor. He did all kind of baptisms, baptisms, washings, ceremonial washings. Jesus said about the Pharisees, they wash cups and pitchers and pots and kettles. But it wasn't just to clean them for cooking. No, it was a ceremonial thing. And if you didn't do it, you're considered you're going to be defiled if you eat out of those things. They'd wash hands, not just to get the dirt and the germs off to eat. Remember, they criticized the disciples. Why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? That's the tradition of the elders. But Jesus didn't do it, and so his disciples didn't do it. But Saul did all that. And you read some of his New Testament letters now. And here's what he found out. Here's what he found. And it had to become part of him. He had to so believe it. He had to come to the place that he knew. You're righteous only by faith. Has nothing to do with what you've achieved. Has nothing to do with your zeal for God. Has nothing to do with your religious attainment. Has nothing to do with any of that. Has nothing to do with any of that. It's solely based on faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. Saul had to learn that. And he would write. He would write verses like this. Oh my goodness, one of the first ones too that I memorized. For by grace, come on, say it with me. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Saul had to learn that. Former boastful Pharisee. He writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He writes in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as he learned that, and it so became a part of his being now, and he was transformed from that self-righteous Pharisee who would go to the temple and pray. Oh, and he looked over the tax collector. I thank you, I'm not like him and like other men. He was so proud of being so righteous. And now that he understood that righteousness only comes by faith, 
in Jesus. Then he had to begin to learn the depth of his own sin. In regard to legalistic righteousness, he's faultless. Nevertheless, he would learn. He writes in 1 Timothy 1.15. Listen to it. Listen to it. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Not the prostitute. Not the people he used to look down on. Not the tax collectors. He realized, I'm the worst. And because he saw the depth of his sin, he saw, <laughs> he saw the love of God like he never saw it before. I mean, it was just so magnified in his life. And he would write in Ephesians chapter 3, the middle of verse 17. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Because he saw the depth of his sin, he understood the love of God and knew the love of God like he had never, ever known before. And then this next one is pretty practical. He understood and learned that kosher is not always cool. I mean, he'd been kosher his whole life. If you think Peter had a, had a challenge when the, the vision of the sheet let down from heaven three times because of Peter's thick spiritual skull, three times, all kind of unclean animals on it, and the Lord said, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, no way. I've never eaten anything unclean. You, you think Peter, he's a fisherman. Saul's a Pharisee. You think Peter had a hard time learning that lesson? You guarantee, I'll guarantee you Saul of Tarsus did, but he learned it. He would write in places like 1 Timothy chapter 4, all foods are clean. He could have never said that as a Pharisee. All foods are clean and are to be received with thanksgiving. I mean, what a change. What a transformation. He, he write in Colossians, don't let anybody judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. And he learned these are a shadow of things that are to come. The reality is found in Christ. He didn't know that the day he got saved. During those years of being with God, he learned that. And because he was freed from his extreme legalism, he became a chameleon for the gospel. Let me read you 1 Corinthians Chapter 9, verse 20. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. He's talking about spiritually weak. Romans chapter 14. Some people, you know, believe that a Christian has to be a teetotaler. And if you take any alcohol, then you've sinned. Well, that's not necessarily true. According to Romans 14. Some people say just only eat vegetables, believe in vegetarianism, but only from spiritual standpoint. Romans 14, that's what he's talking about. To the weak, I became weak. So if, if you're with Paul and he knows you're a teetotaler, he's not going to have anything because you would be offended and he wants to reach you. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel. He became a chameleon, not a compromiser. That's different. He never compromised holiness and righteousness and right living. But he says, I became all things to all men for the sake of the gospel. Became a chameleon. And I'll give you one more. And these aren't certainly exhaustive. There are other things that changed in his life. He was freed from the love of money. You say, how do you know Saul of Tarsus loved money? Because Jesus told us. Luke 16. He publicly said about the Pharisees, they love money. And when he said that, you know what the Pharisees did? They sneered at him. The Pharisees said, if you swear by the temple, that means nothing. But if you swear by the gold of the temple, there you go. 
He would later write things like this. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or well. He's no longer a lover of money now. That took time. But God transformed him. And here's where the rubber meets the road. God's in the business of transforming lives. Not just saving people from hell. Oh, he loves saving people from hell. But that's just the beginning. And the rest of our lives as Christians, what God wants to do is transform us more and more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. But he can't do that unless we do some things that will allow him to do that. That's where we spend our last few minutes. There's another very notable Saul in the Old Testament. He was the first king of Israel. First Samuel chapter 10, God sends the prophet Samuel to anoint Saul to be the first king. He comes to Saul and he says, now, when you leave me, you go on your way, you're going to meet a, a bunch of prophets. They're going to be prophesying. The Spirit's going to come on you and you're going to prophesy with them. And you are going to be changed into a different person. And that's what happened. Holy Spirit comes upon him and it says he was changed into a different person. He started out very humble, very humble. But then he became jealous of David after David slew Goliath. He ended up hating David, seeking to take his life. He also became proud. In 1 Samuel 15, when God sent the prophet Samuel to confront King Saul in his waywardness, they say, well, he's not here. He's gone down to Gilgal. He's there set up a monument in his own honor. That's pride. And when Samuel finally does get to him and confronts him in his waywardness, you know what he does? He makes excuses. He tries to pass the buck instead of just confessing and repenting. And you see his life continuing to spiral down and not be transformed into a godlike man, all because he wasn't willing. And he allowed sin and he allowed pride and he allowed attitudes of his heart to keep him from becoming godly. Understanding spiritual disciplines, I think, is easy to understand. But to do them on a regular basis, that's the challenge. Prayer. Prayer is a discipline. Be self-controlled and alert so that you can pray. Prayer is a discipline. It takes discipline to pray. Thank God we can pray anywhere, anytime. But a real prayer life that's really devoted, it takes discipline. Getting in the word. If you're a brand new Christian, you're a baby, you need to be fed a lot. You need not only me teaching you, you need to get a podcast or something else and tomorrow be listening to somebody, me or somebody else, that, that God will use in your life to feed you pure spiritual milk that you might grow up. And then over time, as you begin to, to read on your own, and daily hopefully is the goal, because this day, give us our daily bread. Every day we need daily bread because every day has enough evil of its own. And that's a spiritual discipline to get the word in my life on a daily basis. To pray, to say no, and develop self-control. Those practical things. But they're spiritual disciplines. And if I don't do them, God can't change me. It's as simple as that. Have you learned, and I know we're, we're almost done, but don't get this last point, because if you'll, if you'll make a decision on this word that God has for us today, you'll, your life will begin to be transformed. I mean, it'll just radically transform you. God will radically transform you. Have you learned you can't transform yourself? Oh, you can go on a diet and do some things like that, and you can make decisions. I'm talking about mold us into the image of Jesus Christ, transform us into the image of Christ. We can't do that. 
Only God can do that. And we all who with unveiled face contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Romans, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And he's talking about the word of God. One of the best little booklets I ever read, the Bible ought to be number one, but these little booklets like this and some other books are very helpful, practically speaking. It's called The Changed Life. It went out of print. We got permission years ago to put it in print again, and now we produce them here. It's very simple. You can read it in no time. I read it again all the way through yesterday, and I've read it. I've lost count of how many times I've read it. It's called The Changed Life, and it talks about transforming, being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. It talks about some inadequate ways of change. Let me throw one out to you. The self-sufficient method. The first imperfect method is to rely on determination. Struggle, effort, even agony have their place in Christianity, but this is not where they come in. When one attempts to sanctify, purify himself by effort, he's like a drowning man trying to lift himself out of the water by pulling at the hair of his own head. I would drown. (laughs) The pruning evil method, to concentrate on a single sin at a time by taking one sin at a time and crucifying it steadily, I hope in the end to eliminate all. There are at least four objections to this message. The first, life's too short. Two, to deal with individual sins is to leave the rest of the nature untouched for the time being. Three, a single combat with a special sin does not affect the root and source. And four, Christianity is not negative. Stopping this sin and stopping that sin, the perfect character can never be produced with a pruning knife. And he goes on to talk about practical things in terms of us being transformed and not transforming ourselves. But then before you're done, he gives these very, very practical words so we don't miss the point. Resolution, effort, pain, self-crucifixion, agony, all the things already dismissed as futile in themselves must now be restored to office and a tenfold responsibility laid upon them. What is their job? To move the vast inertia of the soul, to place it and keep it where the spiritual forces will act upon it. It is to direct our gaze and attention to Christ and away from the influence and pull of the world. And if we'll do that and develop Hopefully daily, daily ought to be the goal. And hopefully before you go into the day, not after you finish the day, that we need the word of God. Prayer. You want to learn how to pray? Let me tell you how to learn how to pray. Pray. You want to learn how to pray? Pray. And as you pray, say, Lord, teach me. And he will. Not meant to be a guilt trip, honestly. The question is for you personally. When do you get along with God? And how often, if you don't have a set time, make that decision before you leave here. Decide tomorrow morning how much time you're going to give to God before you give it to your boss or to your kids or to life in general. And get along with God. Start with something reasonable. Some people get all excited and say, okay, I'm going to spend two hours with God in the morning. Well, if you want to do that, great. And if you can do that. But start, I would suggest start with something a little more reasonable. Now, some of us may spend two hours with the Lord in the morning. Praise God. And you'll be blessed for it. But why don't, you, why don't you ask the Lord? He'll help you with thinking of a time. But maybe 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes. That means I've got to set my alarm 15 minutes earlier or 20 minutes earlier. I'd suggest get, getting a Bible reading plan. And even if you're a babe in Christ, start reading. You may not understand it. You, you may go, what in the world does that mean? Keep reading, keep reading, and make it a discipline and begin to pray. And ask God to show you what to pray for and who to pray for. And if you're going to do 15 minutes in the morning, do a few minutes in the Word, and then maybe a few minutes in prayer. But begin to practice those spiritual disciplines, and God will transform 
your life. Acts details the birth of the church as we know it today. Before Jesus came, the only way to worship God was in a temple, with sacrifices at the ready and only speaking to him through another person. Jesus changed that. Now everyone has direct access to the King of Kings. We can speak to him through our prayers and even hear directly back from him in our own spirit. This is thanks to the gift of the Holy Spirit, who is received as soon as we give our lives to Jesus. Today, you too can have the Holy Spirit flowing through you and giving you the guidance and hope you desire. We'd love to tell you more about this. Send us a quick email at info at ccfstpete.church and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. You can connect with us on social media as well. Find The Living Word on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and jump into the conversations there. Find links to all of these at our website, ccfstpete.church. Are you in the St. Petersburg area? We would love to meet you. Every message you hear on The Living Word comes from a teaching that Pastor Danny Hodges has shared at Calvary Chapel Fellowship and you're invited to join us for our weekly services. Our church is filled with imperfect people being made holy by our perfect creator, and we know that you'll fit right in. Find directions at our website. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. With that, our time with you has officially come to an end. Pastor Danny will lead us deeper into the book of Acts when you join us next time, right here on The Living Word. The Living Word.